Welcome back to our study of the biblical book called Colossians. And while, and the reason why the book is called Colossians is because it was written to a group of Christians who made up a church in the city of Colossae, which was in today uh, Turkey, but in those days it was the Asian province of Rome. And Today's message is going to feel a little bit differently than what we, what we typically do here at Hope Chapel. I mean, unashamedly, what I focus on in my preaching is what I call practical theology. For us to take what we know to be true about God and about who we're supposed to be in God and actually focus on what we do with it, who we're supposed to be and are if you will. And so we're trying to take that knowledge out of the classroom and bring it out into the world. And much of it is because a lot of us would say we, we know a lot more about God than we actually live. So we focus on how to live what we know about God. But today, I really think today's message will be a little bit different because we're really going to focus in a lot more about what is true, what it is that we need to know. Because if we don't get what we know right, then what we do with what we know isn't going to work out very well because we're not going to know the right stuff. And, and this was a concern really that began to really impact the Apostle Paul as he heard about what was going on among these Christians in this small little city called Colossae. And so here's what I want to do. I, I want to read our text for today. So I want to encourage you to grab a Bible and turn over to the book of Colossians with me. We're still in the first chapter. Last week we looked at the first 15 verse, verses and we're going to pick up from there and move through the rest. And, and I want us to read the, I want to read the text for you. And then afterwards I want to take a moment and kind of explain the background from the text so we kind of get at what it is that's really true, what it is that we really are supposed to know and believe and then I want to try to package it up in a way that, that you and I can understand what it is that God is teaching us about himself and about us and what he's done in Christ. And then I'll make a few applications at the end that will help us with what to do now kind of thing. So again, hopefully you have your Bibles out and are turned to Colossians chapter 1. Perhaps maybe it'll make you feel a little bit more like you're in church in worship if you stand up while we read the word together. But let me read for you verses 15 through the end of the first chapter of Colossians. Now God is writing to us through the apostle Paul. And he says, he is the image. And that's a reference to Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn over all creation. Now that doesn't mean that Jesus was created in the same way with us. But that idea of firstborn means he, had a, he has a place of preeminence, a place of honor, right? He's the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things have been created through him and for him. He's before all things. And by him, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He is the first. He is, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. 
For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions. But now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. The gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and I, Paul, have become a servant of it. Now, now I rejoice in my sufferings for you. And I'm completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is the church. I've become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature, everyone perfect, everyone complete in Christ. I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. Now again, the Apostle Paul is writing to this church and and he kind of has like a spiritual grandfather kind of relationship with them. The, as far as we know from the picture we get from the New Testament, this church in Colossae was planted when one of their citizens, a guy by the name of Epaphras, who had spent some time in Ephesus when Paul was ministering there, went back to his hometown, went back to Colossae, and he shared his faith, and, he, and, and the church grew. People responded to the gospel. The church was formed, and Epaphras was kind of their spiritual leader. He was their pastor. But some things had started to come up that, that he didn't really know how to answer, and he knew that somehow or another they really mattered that he needed to get it right, and, and he didn't have the answers for it. So he, he went to Rome, where Paul was currently imprisoned, and brought him his questions, brought him his concerns about what was happening theologically, belief-wise, in, in the church. And, and here, here's kind of the stuff that was going on. I mean, this is where our distance from the context of when the New Testament was written is really a disadvantage for us. Because we're living in the 21st century, and our worldview is very different. But the worldview in which the gospel took root was really dominated by a Greek worldview. And, and, and they had several components that made it very difficult to mesh 
with Christian theology, with what God had revealed about himself through Jesus Christ, what the apostles knew to be true about Jesus. And that just didn't seem to mesh real with well with what everybody believed was the way things were. Now, I could highlight a lot of things, but let me just bring out a few things that really kind of stand out and, and created the issue that was going on in the church at Colossae. One of the tenets, if you will, of the Greek worldview was that matter, the stuff that we can touch, the stuff that we can feel, the stuff that we can see, that stuff was evil. It was profane. And spirit was good. So the spirit, if you will, the sense of life within us is, is good. The God is spirit, right? And, 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 and therefore God is good. And for us, therefore, to get to be in relationship with God, we have to find a way to, if you will, escape the physical world, escape our bodies, and make connection with God who is spirit. Now, the way the Greek world saw this, so again, you have this tenet that real stuff is evil, profane, the spiritual, the spirit is good. And the way you get released from the physical and get connected with the spiritual is through knowledge. It's through what they call gnosis. And we get a, a, a kind of a variant of Christian theology, a heresy, if you will, that we call Gnosticism that comes from that word gnosis. So in order to be released from the body, if you will, and to get away from the evil and to get connected with the spiritual world and make your way through it, you needed to know some stuff. It was gnosis. It was knowledge. They actually spoke about certain passwords and stuff. Now you can imagine the difficulty when that meshed with Christianity. Because you just look at what the Apostle Paul's saying here, right? He's saying that Jesus is fully God, but that God who is, who is perfect had contact, actually created material world, and it was actually made for him, and those two things don't jive. See, in, in, the, in the Greek world, view of things. This is how it worked, right? You have this, you have this like this top God who's way up here. And then you have layers, if you will, underneath it. And then you get down to a place where you have a God who's so far removed from the pinnacle of Godhood that he's actually capable of having contact with evil stuff. And so he's he's God, but he's not really God because he's so far down the hierarchy chain that he can actually have contact with that which is profane. And that's what the apostles were teaching about Jesus. I mean, it's a lot like, you know, say in the days when Bill Gates was the CEO of, of Microsoft. I mean, if you were a low-level program or maybe you'd just been working there for a month and you went into the men's bathroom or the ladies' bathroom and you found out that the toilet was clogged, you wouldn't pick up your phone and call Bill Gates and say, hey, the toilet on my floor is, is clogged, right? You'd, you'd pick up the, the phone and you'd call the maintenance department. And the way Microsoft would have been set up is you got the CEO and then somewhere in there you got the CFO and then the COO who is the chief operations officer and somewhere underneath that you got like you know, physical plant management, and then you got all the regional guys, and then the, the district guys, and then you got the facility manager, and underneath him, you got the cleaners, and you got the maintenance guys, the electricians, and the plumbers. And somewhere down here, you got the helper to the plumber. And when you pick up the phone, that's the guy you get, and he comes and unclogs 
the toilet. And the way the Greeks were looking at it was that if Jesus was the one who created the world, then he had to be that apprentice plumber who came and unclogged your toilet, right? And so he, he might give us a great start, but he's certainly not going to lead us to the CEO of the Godhead's office. And so we needed to know some stuff after we got our start with Jesus. And Paul knows that that is just, he, he, he knows it's a failed theology, a failed attempt at salvation. It's just coming in a different package. Because in Judaism, it was called the law. And you had to keep the law in order to be good enough to go to heaven. Everybody came up short. Here they're saying you have to know enough to be able to get from your entry point with Jesus to actually get to a place where you're at the, at the, at the pinnacle of deity. And so you, you, you as an individual needed to know more and more and more and more. And so this teaching is kind of coming up in the church. And, and Epaphras is looking at it and he says, you know, I, I don't know how to push back on that. Because again, he's, he's immersed in this Greek worldview. I know that doesn't sound right, that Jesus is God, but he's not really God. And, 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 and he's our salvation, but he's not really all of our salvation. He knows what I feel like, just, just like you and I sometimes when we're in a conversation with somebody. And, I, and you know, we know theologically we're kind of getting into someone. You know, and, 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 and you'll hear somebody say like, well, don't they have the right to be happy? And in our world, we'll say, well, absolutely. You know, being a, part, being a 21st century American, believing in liberty and all that kind of stuff, everybody has the right to live their lives the way they want to live them. And, and therefore, that, you know, and, and they have the right, therefore, to be happy, if you will, happy with the way they're living in their life. And, but somehow we start translating that to back to some of the things that we know is right in the eyes of God. We see those things don't really kind of line up. And we start, like, you know, I don't, I don't get it. And, and, and we struggle for answers. Well, Paul wrote back to this church because he knew what was going to happen. They were going to take the perfection of who Jesus was, and by trying to add to it, they were going to diminish it, and they were going to destroy the gospel because it was going to go back to man's efforts to be saved, to know enough or do enough in Jewish terminology, and they were just going to ruin everything. So Paul, he, he, he steps right out, and, and he, he lays this right out. He says, listen, Jesus isn't just a God. He's not the God way down at the bottom of the totem pole that it's okay for him to have contact with the, with the human world. And he might get you a little bit off the planet, and then after that, you're going to know all. He says, no, 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 no. He is fully God. He is the full picture of the invisible God. He shares the office <laughs> if you will, with the heavenly father, the pinnacle, right? He, when, when you call the top-notch office, Jesus picks up the phone. They are identical. They are one of the same. He is fully God. And he came into this world, and he wasn't just a spirit in this world. He was physically here. And with that, he declares matter as being good. The world is good. The stuff that God has created is good. And salvation then isn't about what we know, that somehow or another Jesus can get us released and then we have to figure out what we need to know to move up. He says, no, no, no. Salvation isn't about what you know. Salvation is about forgiveness for your sins. 
of what God has already done in Jesus Christ. Now, like I said, the message is a little different than what we normally do because we really focus a lot on, on practical theology. But this is the fundamental stuff that we're talking about in our journey of faith, right? That Jesus is fully God. He became fully one of us. He wasn't here just in a spiritual form like he was some kind of a divine ghost walking around us. It looked like he had a body on kind of idea. But he was actually a physical man who was born, who lived, he died. And he did so so that you and I can be forgiven. And it's in forgiveness that we find salvation. And that's what he's hammering on here. You know, here, here again, this, this church that's like, they, they believe in Jesus, but they're trying to, you know, they, they, they've been immersed in this worldview. And you know what? Spirit is good. Material is bad, you know. And, 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 to, be in, 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 and to escape the spirit world, you've got to know some stuff. So how does that fit into what we're hearing about Jesus being God? But So he, maybe he was here in spiritual form. He looked like a man, but he really wasn't a man. And because he had contact with the world, he really wasn't the God. He was just a God. And, 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 and it's just ripping apart the gospel. So let me try to make an effort to kind of unpack what it is that you and I need to know so that we get this right for ourselves. And, and, and I want to give you three points that really kind of point to, to kind of bring it all together for us. And, and here's the first one. Everyone, everyone has a God-given opportunity for eternal glory and spiritual riches. What this passage is teaching is that every single one of us, every single one of us has a God-given opportunity for eternal glory and spiritual riches to be perfect. And that's, some of the everyone is based on the fact that the Jews already knew this, right, through, through Abraham to Moses and being the people of God. But now Paul is saying this is also being revealed to the Gentiles. It's for all of us, right? And every single one of us is made in the image of God. And as we see here in this passage of Scripture in verse 27, and it should pop up on the screen there for you, he says, God wanted to make known among the Gentiles, so that's now including them along with the Jews, so that's everybody, the glorious wealth of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And you read down a little bit further. He says, we want to present everyone mature or perfect or complete in Christ. So he's saying, because you and I are made in the image of God, Jew or Gentile, male or female, you go right up, rich, poor, every single one of us has a God-given opportunity through our being made in the image of God to have a relationship with God that allows us to experience the glorious wealth and the spiritual riches that come from all of eternity. That's what we see in this passage of Scripture. But here's the next fact that we see. It's that even though every single one of us have this God-given opportunity, we also have a proven track record of messing up that opportunity. Every single one of us, just like we have that God-given opportunity, every single one of us has a God has a track record of messing up that opportunity. Therefore, we come up short in our experience of it. Look at verse 22. It says, uh, sorry, verse 21. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds. 
expressed in your evil actions. Now, a lot of us, when we, we read a passage of Scripture like this, and we read terms like, like we're alienated and we're hostile. So I'm not hostile towards God, right? I'm not, we don't look at ourselves and consider ourselves to be evil in our actions, right? You know, virtually all of us don't consider ourselves to be evil. And, and in the worldly sense, in the way the world looks at good and bad, good and evil, we're really not. You know, most of us, we, we really are heartbroken when we hurt somebody else. We, we, you know, we're, we, we do. We don't go through life trying to hurt other people. We don't go through life trying to, to be bad or to inflict pain. It's not, we're not evil, right? Most of us, when we can do good, we will do good. You know, if we're walking out of a store, if we're walking out of a restaurant and there's somebody coming the other direction, we'll hold the door until they get there, right? If our neighbor needs a little help, we'll go shovel some snow, cut some grass, blow some leaves, do whatever it is, right? We, we are good people, but that's not what the Bible means when it uses the word evil here, right? It says we're, you know, these terms here, alienated, we're we, we've broken down the relationship. We've blown the God-given opportunity to be in on all those spiritual riches, right? And, and we've blown all of that. And he said, and, and, and we're in this position now where we're evil. It's not that we're evil in the eyes of the world. The Bible defines evil as this. It's simply any moment in our lives when we fail to treat God as God. It doesn't mean that you've done something horrendous and that everybody should condemn. It simply means that there's been a moment in our life where we, our lives where we have failed to treat God as God. Maybe it was just a moment in our lives and we knew, you know what, I really shouldn't say this word in anger, but I'm going to do it anyways, and we just did it. Or we know that we really should forgive somebody and maybe we say so with our mouths, but we, we really don't intend to forget. Or maybe we, we've actually obeyed God, but we've done it reluctantly. We've done it with bitterness. We've done it with, with anger, right? When any single moment when you and I fail to treat God as God, as someone who is the supreme value in the universe and someone we take joy in being with and doing all that he's asked us to do, whenever we fail to treat God as God, we're evil. Just a glaring example from the scriptures, and you can see this in the life of Moses. You know, there was a time when, when he, he was grieving over the loss of his sister. He, he was struggling leading the people of God, and they were complaining and whining and everything else about not having enough water. And God told him, I want you to go out. I want you to gather all the people together, and I want you to speak to the rock, and the water's going to come forth. And Moses went out, and he gathered all the people. But instead of speaking to the rock, because he was mad, right? I mean, he was doing kind of what God asked him to do, but he hit the rock, and he failed to treat God as God. He modified, changed, did what he wanted to do in that moment. And that was evil in God's eyes. And every single one of us has done, think of it this way. Some of you are into, into sports, right? And, you know, the NBA season just got over. Imagine you're setting out to do a, do a record to set, you're going to sink 100,000 free throws in a row. And you get to 999 
You get to 99,999, right? You're, and you're taking that last one and you miss. You're not perfect. And that's very much the standard that the Bible holds up for us. So every single one of us has a track record of taking this opportunity to be in relationship with God where we experience all these spiritual riches, this eternal glory, we're, we're perfected in him, and we have blown it. And the scripture says every single one of us are alienated, hostile in our minds, and doing things that fail to treat God as God. That's the truth. We can't bend it. We can't change it. We can't do anything else with it. That's the truth. But here's what Paul also wants us to know is truth. It's that God has provided a fail-safe means for every single one of us to capitalize on that opportunity. Even though we have a track record of blowing the opportunity, God has created a fail-safe means for every single one of us to experience the fullness of that opportunity. And how did he do that? He did that for us. For, he did it for us, right? He took the opportunity for us and then passed it on to us in Jesus Christ. Look at these verses. Verses 19 and 20 from Colossians 1. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him, right? And through him he reconciled, right? He took uh, he took our, our alienation and he brought us together, right? He reconciled him through him and through him to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And he made peace through his blood, which was shed on the cross. Right? And he's now in verse 22. But now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present us so that now he can bring us into this relationship with God. We're no longer alienated. We've no longer blown the opportunity. But in Jesus now we come and we are in the place to seize the opportunity in him. He's made us holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Every single one of us has a God-given opportunity to experience eternal wealth and spiritual riches, eternal glory and spiritual riches. Every single one of us has blown it. There's been a moment in our lives where we fail to treat God as God. But God's created a solution for that, a fail-safe means for us to get back in on the opportunity, the promise that he's given us. And that means is Jesus Christ because he's already come and lived as one of us. Fully God, fully one of us. He's lived with one of every single one of us. Fully perfect. And in him, we are reconciled. The alienation is broken down. We are brought back into relationship with God in all of the eternal riches, all of the, all of the, the eternal glory, all of the, all of the resources, the treasures that are in the spiritual Fort Knox in heaven are just poured out on us. And it doesn't happen because of what we know. It happens because of the relationship that we have with God through Christ. So this is where faith comes in. This is those more, the way that you and I get into Christ, right? The way we get into Christ and we experience this eternal glory and tap into this spiritual resources is through our faith in Christ. And that puts Christ in us, the hope of glory. So 
and, 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 and kind of some way the imagery there for me is like, I, I remember when my boys were really little and sometimes they'd be reaching for something on the countertop or something a little higher up and, 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 and they just couldn't quite reach. And, and, and I would just pick them up and lift them. And he said, that's exactly what God's done for us in Christ. And we allow God, we, we participate with God's lifting. Not, not that we do supply anything to, we do that by when we say, I need a savior because I'm a sinner. I need a savior. I need somebody to reconcile me because I've blown the opportunity and I'm alienated. And I need somebody to, to end the alienation and bring about reconciliation in my relationship with, with God. And the person who does that is through Jesus Christ and say, I choose him. I choose to be in him and to embrace the forgiveness that comes through his blood that was shed on the cross. And when you and I do that, what Paul's telling us is here, we, we are we are eternally loaded, <laughs> you know, with all of the treasures of heaven. And so he, he, I want to give you just a few thoughts about how to really manage this great gift that God's given us of a new relationship with him, how to manage this newfound spiritual wealth that we have through a personal faith in Jesus Christ. So what, what are these wealth management issues that you and I need to look at in our journey? If we really have seize the opportunity because we've placed our faith in Christ and he's forgiven us. And we now have, have Christ in us, the hope of glory. And, and we have these eternal riches and eternal, all available to us. What is it you and I need to do? And I, I want to give you just several things to think about. First one is this. Don't sell Jesus short. That's what the Colossian Christians were being tempted to do. That's what they were being asked to do. Yeah, Jesus is God, but he's not really that great of a God. You, you need Jesus plus, right? Don't sell Jesus short, right? The world does it all the time. They, 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 you know, I, I've never met anybody who has said that they, they think Jesus is the most evil person who ever walked on a planet. Almost everybody has a ton of respect for him, but that's not, but even you can do that and still sell Jesus short. I can remember when we were on our tour of Israel, you know, the, our poor tour guy was a, was, was a Jew, was a Jewish guy. And he's on a, he's on a tour with, with 90 evangelicals. And every single one of them is trying to, to introduce him to Jesus Christ, right? And, 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 you know, and so eventually at one point, somebody just said, well, well you know, if, if you don't believe in Jesus as God's son, what, what do you think about him? You know, and his answer was, well, I think he was a great teacher. He said, and to tell you the truth, I wish he had lived a lot longer because I think he had a lot more stuff to teach my people. That's, that sounds really great, but it's still selling Jesus short because Jesus was the son of God. How, how is it that you and I do that? You know, and, and here, <clears throat> here's the way I look at it. Many of us, we live our spiritual lives. <clears throat> we live this journey. Excuse me, just a second. And when we go to Jesus, we ask a question, well, Jesus, what do you think? What do you think I should do here? What do you think I should do in this relationship? What job do you think I should take? Do you think I should buy this house? So, and we go, so what, what, do you, what do you think? You know, how am I supposed to handle this, right? You know, and, and, and I think when we go to Jesus and say, what do you think? I think we're selling them short. I think we should go to Jesus and be saying, what are your instructions? What's your command for me? And we sell Jesus short when we don't approach him that way. He's not our consultant. He's our Lord. Secondly, we need to really stick to the fundamentals. 
You know, you you can never get, I I know some of you are saying, I've heard these truths before. You may be packaging them. You can never, ever get away from the fundamentals. Look look what Paul talks about in in verse 23. He says, man, we, we need to remain grounded and steadfast in this stuff, right? I mean, you can, you know, some of you are, you know, I'm an investing novice, right? I don't really know very much about investing. So, the, you know, my, my thought pattern is, you know, buy good stocks that you, in good companies that you hope are going to pay dividends and they're going to grow in value. Some of you, you know, you're doing margins and puts and short selling and all venture capital and all those kinds of different things. And you may make wild riches, but it could also fall apart as well, right? And, and, and sometimes it does. For, hopefully it won't, won't for you. Paul saying, listen, get back to the basics, right? Get back to the basics. As you and I accumulate education, experiences, and relationships, there's always this tendency to want to drift away. And he says, man, stay steadfast and grounded on these truths that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the answer. And you and I find the fulfillment of life the meaning of life, and our way to eternity only in Jesus Christ. Third truth, put in the work. Put in the work. You know, look what Paul says in verse 20. He says, man, I'm laboring and I'm suffering for this, right? You know, we, we, we need to put in the work to make sure that what we know is true so that what we know and translate to everyday life actually liberates us to live with that eternal glory and all those spiritual riches. you got to put in the work. And I, I just would literally point you back to the, the series we just concluded in Holy Habits. Man, you just got to pray. You just got to read your Bible every day. You need to worship. You need to serve. You need to give. you got to put in the work to make this work. you got to labor and you got to strive at it, right? Last truth I'd say to you, if... if you really have gone where you've seized the spiritual opportunity that God's given us because you've done it through Jesus Christ. The thing that you need to be doing is you need to be team investing now. And, and, and what I mean by that is you look at verses 18 where he says he is the head of the body, the church. You look at verse 24 where Paul says that, you know, Jesus Jesus created the platform, the foundation for the church to be built on, but for the church to come to life in the world, some of the rest of us needed to suffer. Some of us needed to get in there, roll up our sleeves, do the work to grow. And he, man, he said, you know, he, we, 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 we need to be connected to the body of Christ. We got to do this together as a team. And, and let me make a couple statements to you, right? He said, if you are not relationally connected, to some expression locally of the body of Christ, you're probably outside of the will of God. I mean, I realize that there are Christians living in parts of the world where there might not be another Christian for 100 miles from where they're at. I I get that. That's not what I'm talking about. But you and I, whether we're in a traditional church or we're in a health church or whatever, if we are not connected to the body, as a result of having seized the opportunity that God's given us in Jesus Christ, then we're probably outside of the will of God. Because that's what God's all about. Secondly, we need to be somehow, what we do in our 
impact in the world, somehow or another needs to bring the church to life in the world. It needs to bring the kingdom of God here on earth. Paul says, you know what? My sufferings, you know, I am completing in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body. In other words, the work that needed to be done in the world to get the church up and growing and doing, that's the stuff that I'm doing and that's what you and I are supposed to be doing as well. We're supposed to be investing with the team to bring the body of Christ to life in the world. Like I said, a different kind of message today. Let me kind of bring it to a conclusion. First of all, maybe in this journey of our message this morning, you've recognized that there really is a God-given opportunity for you to experience spiritual riches and eternal glory. But you've seen it like never before that you've blown that opportunity because you failed to treat God as God in your life. And I believe God would be making an appeal through the Apostle Paul, through his word to us today, to embrace the fail-safe means of seizing that opportunity by placing our faith in Christ. If you've never done that before, I believe God is saying to you, decide that today. Make that decision today. Recognize that you need a Savior, that you need forgiveness Accept that Jesus is that Savior. And that through his blood on the cross, as the text talks to us about, we can be forgiven. And place your faith in him. Some of the rest of us, we, we have failed to put in the work. We haven't stayed steadfast and grounded. We're not team investing and working with the body of Christ. I invite you today to manage well the kingdom wealth that God has given you in Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. God, thank you for your word today. I do pray that it would bear fruit. You know, Father, I know that as this word went out to the church at Colossae, it opened their eyes. And they saw that the truth of God and the views of the world were not the same. And that God had done something incredible for them in Jesus. Father, I pray today for those that are considering their need for a Savior for the very first time today. If you're ready to take that step and embrace the Savior, here's what you could pray silently, even there in your own home or wherever you're listening to this. Lord, I know I fail to treat you as God all the time. And I confess that to you. And I ask for your forgiveness based upon what Jesus did on the cross. And in the best way that I know how right now, with a commitment to learning to grow in the future, I place my faith in him and invite him into my life. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being a part of our study today. 
Jesus is just perfect. And if we are careful about what we know, we can be just perfect in him as well. If you took that step today to become a follower of Christ, I'd love to know about it. I'd be honored if you'd reach out and let me know. You could either just call the office, you could email the office, you can go through our website and just hit the contact us button. That will get to me. We've already spoken about it, how to get the connect card and share that. Just somehow get a word to me because I'd love to pray for you by name, but also to be able to see if there's any way that I can help you on your spiritual journey. For the rest of us, if we said, you know what, I, I, I need to do better with this wealth that God's given me. I need to be a better investor. We're more than ready to meet you halfway. Let us know how we can serve you. God bless and have a great rest of the week.